Cody Finke. Today's guest is applying his Caltech PhD to solving the carbon problem with concrete, one of the biggest contributors to global warming. His cement startup is called Brimstone Energy. He'll also share insights about his superpower, focusing on the economics of science. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Cody, thanks for joining me this morning. I'm so excited to talk to you about this amazing work that you're doing. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks for inviting me on. Wow. Um, you know, truth be told, uh, kind of pulling back the curtain, you and I had a little conversation before we turned on the microphone just to meet each other a little bit. And you told me your story in such a perfect way. I wonder if you would just share your background and just share that same story with the audience, because it really is an amazing history of how you got to be doing this incredible work. It, it was so deliberate. I, I was really impressed. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll try. I, uh, now I'm a little nervous, so given the <laughs> previous time was so perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, uh, my academic background or my professional background is I uh, started off um, at Carleton College. I got a degree in chemistry. After college, um, I took a, about a year off, and then I uh, got into luckily an apply and and joined an MD PhD dual degree program. And um, I was only there for a few months. It was between it was joint between USC and Caltech down in Southern California, and um, I decided that I wasn't. I didn't, I mean, I think the most important thing is that I didn't really like medicine. <laughs> and then the second most important thing is that I wanted to have, you know, a large impact on, you know, the health of the planet or the health of people. And I felt like my marginal impact as a doctor was pretty small because the next person after me who would have been a doctor um, would probably have been just as good of a doctor as me. Whereas I could go work on a problem that maybe has less traction um, and be more interesting. So I went and joined a lab at Caltech that studied wastewater treatment for applications in low-income countries, which is a huge global health problem and also an environmental problem. And I worked on that for about three years. Uh, it was a very interesting uh, problem. But I realized after three years um, that I should assess the ability for the technology that I was working on to make an impact. And, you know, I realized our global economic system is, um, would and would nearly necessitate, uh, our wastewater treatment solution to be affordable by people or governments in low income countries. And I, after doing an analysis, I found that, um, the, the chances that I found the chances of that to be very small. And it was essentially the, the risk was intolerable for me to uh, keep working on that technology. So I switched over to working on making clean hydrogen um, via water electrolysis. This is you know, something that could potentially replace energy use or fossil fuel use. And it was a very popular thing to do at Caltech. Um, so I worked on that for about two years and again, did an economic analysis and I, I found two things. First of all, is that the specific problem I was working on was the wrong problem. Um, as in, if I was con uh, concerned about deploying low cost hydrogen, then working on catalysts to make hydrogen, which is what I was doing, 
was not a very big lever. And then the second is that the chances of water electrolysis in general, even if I was working on the right problem, the chances of water electrolysis in general being low cost um, and competing with, with fossil fuels for, as an energy source was very, I found very remote. And again, I found the risk associated with that to be intolerable for me. Um, so I decided that I wanted to work on something that had a um, potential impact that was uh, less risky or more certain. And more importantly for me, I wanted to work on something um, that not many other people were working on so that I as an individual could have a large marginal impact. And then I think probably the most important is that I wanted something interesting for me that I actually wanted to do and was good for my skills. And, you know, a chemistry problem was, was that. So I spent some time working on different hydrogen production strategies. And then I eventually settled on cement production because cement is a huge greenhouse gas problem. It's responsible for about the same amount of greenhouse gases as cars uh, or greenhouse gas production as, as operating cars. And it's relatively understudied, um, although that is changing, and I think that's good. But certainly when I joined, there were you know almost no one thinking about cement compared to hydrogen or cars or something like this. Sure, yeah. And um, then, again, most importantly, it's a very interesting chemistry problem because most of the greenhouse gas emissions are associated with chemistry, um, not energy consumption. So I started thinking about processes and I had, you know, three pillars, which sort of I clearly stated now are that I wanted to develop a process where a rational, econo solely economic actor, uh, when choosing between um, our process and the conventional process would choose our process. Because I think that's necessary for global impact in the global economic right. system that we have. The second pillar is that um, that same rational, solely economic actor, when choosing where to put the plant, uh, that would result in a plant that produced cement that was at least considerably lower emissions than conventionally produced cement and hopefully carbon neutral. And then the final thing specifically for cement is that um, I, I felt like given the urgency of climate change, we didn't have time to wait for regulation to catch up. So we had to make the exact same product as conventionally produced cement. So with those three things and, you know, this time finally, you know, really integrating um, economic analysis into chemical process development, started thinking about this chemical process, met my co-founder Hugo at Caltech, and we decided to start Brimstone Energy around a process that um, we developed and are developing. Excellent. I have a stupid question that I want to interject now. Uh, and then I hope I follow up with good questions. So let's start with a stupid one. I'm sure um, it's not stupid. <laughs> no, I think it is. But I think uh, the traditional cement product is often called, and I think technically it's the right name, but maybe I'm wrong. You educate me. Portland cement. And yeah, or, I think yeah. I think sometimes people don't know that. And so I saw on social media, someone had referred to uh, you as being a local cement producer in the Portland area. That's not right, right? Uh, help us understand what Portland cement means. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's right. So, uh, cement or ordinary Portland cement is an, is a typical name for cement, but cement, the nomenclature around is actually even more confusing than what you describe. So 
Cement, the most clearly stated or the easiest way to think about it is the binder in concrete. It is the, the glue that sticks all the rocks and sand together um, to make the building material. And cement can have a lot of components. The largest component certainly is ordinary Portland cement, which is what comes out of cement plants. But other components include things like supplementary cementitious materials. So, and those are things like the waste products from burning coal in a coal-fired power plant, or the waste products from burning coal in a steel mill, um, that's fly ash and blast furnace slag. Um, so I guess, yeah, we are certainly not, <laughs> we're certainly not located in Portland, although I am from Seattle, which is close to Portland, Oregon, and I have lived in Maine, which has the other Portland in it. Yeah, and then that's right. I understand there's some more Portlands over in the United Kingdom. <laughs> but yeah. I, uh, but yeah, ordinary Portland cement has nothing to do with any, um, or yeah, ordinary Portland cement is just the uh, cement that is made by cement plants. Okay. So uh, if you're making the same output, help us understand what the chemistry is doing that's different that reduces the carbon. It sounds like, uh, I was expecting you to tell me that you'd figured out a lower heat process or that you had a better source of energy for the for the heat required for cement, which is one of the huge inputs. But you're telling Certainly. me, no, it's the chemistry. So tell us a little bit without revealing your secret sauce, what is the difference in your chemistry that's reducing the carbon and how does that possibly work? Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll start with explanation of how Portland cement is made today. I'll tell you how we make Portland cement, and then I'll give you an analogy to a another construction materials industry that's okay. the steel industry that's very similar. So starting with how cement is made by all the major cement companies is you start with a rock called limestone. And limestone is basically solidified CO2. It is um, a combination of something called lime, which is calcium oxide, and CO2, which is stuck the lime, making limestone. In the conventional cement process, you heat up limestone, and when you heat it up, the CO2 detaches from the lime and goes off into the atmosphere. And you're left with just lime, which is calcium oxide, and the lime is sort of the core ingredient in ordinary Portland cement. Well, so as you can probably see, 60% of the emissions from conventionally produced cement come from that CO2 that is released from the rock itself. That's the chemistry yeah. that I'm talking about. And, okay. then the, other and the rest comes from the heat. Exactly. The rest comes from the fuel. Yeah. Okay. So how does our process work then? So we start with a different rock. This rock is, uh, in general, it's called a calcium silicate. They're the most abundant rocks on the planet. Like Something like 50% or 60% of the Earth's crust is made out of calcium silicate rocks. Much more abundant than limestone. And we figured out a chemical process to extract the lime from these calcium silicates. So what's left over is silica and other solid materials. And we don't have any CO2 emissions from the rock. So we've totally eliminated that 60% of emissions that come from the rock. The lime then is the same, and it goes through the same heating process that conventional cement does, and you end up with ordinary Portland cement. There's nothing different at all. It's just you source lime in a different way. The other catch, so if you remember back to my original pillars, I'm about these rational economic actors. So you mm -hmm. can fuel either process, either conventional cement or our cement with clean or dirty energy. Cement in general, 
at least for the, the thermal side, is, um, is powered by fossil fuels. And that's because rational economic actors are putting these plants in the world like our system is set up for. And so it turns out today, hopefully not in 20 years, but today if someone were to set up our cement plant, they would set it up using a fossil fuel, which means we would have CO2 emissions from, the, um, from heating. However, I also said that our process is hopefully zero emissions um, for, a tip, for a typical rock, and it is. And the reason that's true is because our rock also contains a compound or an element called magnesium, and we separate that magnesium as an oxide. And uh, magnesium oxides and the family of oxyhydroxides and everything else um, passively absorb CO2. So essentially when we take out the magnesium from these rocks as a waste product, it passively absorbs CO2. There's nothing you can, you know, you'd have to spend money to get that process to stop happening. Um, it's a free, it's a free process. And what that means is for a typical rock, even if powered by a fossil fuel, we would be about carbon neutral or even a bit carbon negative for our cement. Um, wow. of course, hopefully if, if, um, rational economic actors start installing clean energy instead of, um, dirty energy for, you know, cement production, then we'll be a highly carbon negative cement product, which is our dream. Yeah. So, oh. Uh, that, so that's exciting. So I think there's another aspect that I want to just touch on that you didn't mention. I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, that traditional Portland cement, you know, the, the concrete we see on our sidewalks typically is slowly still emitting carbon. Is that right? It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So um, it's it's concrete we see on our side, sidewalks is slowly absorbing carbon, actually. Oh, okay. Um, and that's true of conventional concrete and true of our concrete. Um, so, uh, so calcium oxide, which again, lime, that's the key component of, um, of cement, just like magnesium oxide passively absorbs CO2. So it's debated pretty heavily exactly how much CO2 is absorbed by concrete. Um, and it's you know, certainly different in different scenarios because you have to have good, you know, gas solid, a good gas solid contact. So you can imagine concrete that's put into a, you know, foundation of a building or inside of a building may absorb less CO2 than concrete that, like you say, is on a sidewalk. But on average, it's about 100 to 200 kilograms of CO2 that are absorbed over a 40-year lifetime of a of, of, of cement, rather, per ton of cement. Um, so that's another source of carbon negativity. Of course, conventional cement production produces, you know, 800 kilograms of CO2 per ton. So the absorption factor is you know not nearly enough to make up for how much is emitted in conventional produced concrete, nice. but that but absorption factor for our cement would make it highly carbon negative. So you the addition of magnesium doesn't change the output in terms of the quality of the concrete, but it accelerates the carbon absorption. Is that right? Well, well, to be clear, we don't add magnesium. Magnesium is a waste product for us, so we don't put any magnesium in our cement or concrete. Um, we have to mm. take the magnesium out of the rock, um, but. As, so the addition of magnesium into the process, basically, you know, removal of magnesium and putting it in our tailings pile all increases the um, carbon negativity of the process that we have to make cement. I see. Okay. So it doesn't end up in the product. Okay. Okay. Right. So um, give us a sense of where you are in scale. You, you just raised some money. You're getting going. Uh, this is clearly a huge opportunity. Uh, have you made any cement? 
Great question. Yeah. So um, we have, so like you said, we raised some money. We are um, at the laboratory scale. So we're making, um, you know, sort of kilograms and grams of product um, at, at our scale. We make, um, we make a variety of cementitious materials. So this goes back to the complex nomenclature of cement. So um, our process makes both supplementary cementitious materials and ordinary Portland cement. Uh, and right now we're only um, sending out samples of the supplementary cementitious materials that we've made. And um, at this point we have made, um, according to our own internal data, we have made um, Portland cement, but we haven't made enough to send out for external testing or or sending out external samples. So we're waiting on on that. Okay. What do you see as being the timeline between where you are now in the lab and beginning, uh, you know, pilot scale testing and then coming to market and being able to offer, you know, volumes uh, of this stuff to start in production. Uh, you know, the, the world needs you to act quickly. What's the timeline? Yeah, it's a good question. Of course, there's, um, it's very difficult to predict um, things that involve new technology development and research. But um, we are, you know, with our, with our investors who are very dedicated, acting as fast as we can. The biggest challenge in cement is getting to is getting to scale. So uh, right now, four billion tons of cement are produced, every, produced and consumed every year. Um, they're made in plants that typically make a million tons of cement every year, uh, or often more. And we need to get from the place where we're making grams and kilograms of product to the place where we're making millions of tons of product per plant, and do that, you know, three or four thousand times. Um, and it takes a long time to scale up. Um, from industry to, uh, you know, commercial plants. So for a whole scale up from our industry to sort of where we are now to commercial plant, I would say optimistically we'll be producing, you know, large quantities of cement in five years and more conservatively, it'll be, it'll be 10 years or maybe even a little bit longer before we're um, producing millions of tons of cement. Yeah. Do you envision a process for your business where you become the cement manufacturer or a licensing model where uh, cement producers around the world use your process and pay you for the privilege? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so what's core to our um, our business and our ethos is, is we're sincere about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And that's the only, that's the only thing we care about. If it becomes clear by somehow, you know, that's not going to be the case or the process is not going to be lower cost or something like that and therefore will not have a major impact. And I'm going to start looking for a new job. Uh, I, you know, I'm not interested in working on something that isn't impactful in the greenhouse gas emission space. And that being said, we also want a business model that optimizes for reducing emissions um, as fast as possible. And we see we are out there and we see there's, you know, five or 10 cement companies that own um, the vast majority of the cement market. They have all the customers um, and they have all, all a lot of um, uh, capital, or a lot of money that they can use to deploy plants. And they have a lot of know how and they're really the experts at making cement. So we think that, you know, the fastest way to decarbonizing is to work with all of these companies in order to 
install our plants um, for them and hopefully decommission their old plants and install new plants using our process. So we, we're working on a you know, joint venture licensing business model with conventional producers. Okay. Well, this is, this is exciting stuff. Uh, I commend you for the progress you're making and, and your commitment to staying focused on the environmental impact. Uh, this is critically important. Uh, you've accomplished a lot and the opportunity before you is huge. What do you see as being your personal superpower? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, never really thought of having a superpower. Um, one that I'm, you know, one that I'm quite good at is knowing what size of Tupperware to use for leftovers. But I think that's probably not so helpful, uh, for cement. I think that, um, one of the things that I take this question, maybe a little slightly differently is what is clear in my mind that I feel like a lot of the industry is missing. And what's clear in my mind um, is given the global economic system, we need a system that's lower cost than the conventional system. So I am a scientist, but I'm also very good at abandoning science that I don't seem uh, that I don't see a path forward with. And I think that many other folks are you know, want to commercialize the science that they're really passionate about. And I'm much more interested in the very, in the very big picture um, of, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, how do we reduce greenhouse gas emissions? And therefore, if I, if I had to name a superpower related to this, it's being realistic about whether or not a um, given chemical process that we're working on actually has a pathway to being lower cost under, you know, an expected or especially current economic system and under those lower costs or under those scenarios, if it's also going to be lower emissions. And if it's not that criteria, I'm, you know, very good at just abandoning the process and, and moving on. And we had to do that a lot in the early days. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, a great uh, superpower that focus on, on the economics as you, as you think about the progress you've making so far in the business, do you can you see the connection between that focus and uh, your progress to date? Has it helped you in raising money? Has it helped you make progress, attract people? Yeah, I, I think it certainly has. Um, you know, when you go out to raise money, the reason these people are offering you money is because they want to turn their money into more money. And that's the, the role of a venture capitalist. So with the, you know, just acknowledging that, Hey, we need to make money with this system or, um, or else it's not going to scale and not have the impact. I think that, um, all of our investors have realized that, you know, our motivation around CO2 emissions and, you know, their motivation, which is often around CO2 emissions and sometimes around money and CO2 emissions or just money, um, they're totally aligned and we're and we are developing a process to be totally aligned because we're realistic about the again about the economic system of the world has today and that's where um yeah so i think that because of you know our intense you know our intense work and very deliberate work in aligning the economics and the co2 emission reduction then it's very attractive to venture capitalists because you know the again the purpose of venture capital firm is to make money 
Yeah, excellent. Excellent. As you uh, think about this, how would you coach people who are working on other projects uh, in the climate change space to incorporate this thinking into their projects? Yeah. So I heard this is actually um, in my undergraduate career, I had a professor um, who actually is, is a professor that um, I met through another professor, not actually at my college, gave me this advice. He was like, science, it's fairly graphic, but science is all about drowning your favorite puppies. As in, um, you're going to really love the science you're doing and you're going to be really excited about it. And the best thing you can do to figure out if it's actually a good route is to ask the hard questions and then be honest with yourself about those answers. And I really took that to heart. And, you know, in the early days, it took me longer than I hoped. You know, I spent, you know, three years and then two years on projects that, you know, I think I could have obviously dismissed from the start. But um, at least within my risk framework. Um, but I think that, you know, the simplest advice is say, hey, um, do an economic analysis. It can be a very, a very simple one at first. It can just say, hey, given the energy requirements that I'm measuring in lab, given the cost of that energy that I look up on the Internet, not the cost that I you know, imagine with my crystal ball that energy will be in the future. What, what do the economics of my process look like just from a energy raw material, simple cap, uh, capital cost estimate. And if they don't look good, then, um, find a new way to do things. And it's, and then have the confidence yourself that you can find a new way to do things. And just remember you figured out the first way to do things. You probably are going to be able to figure out another way to do things. Yeah. Well, that's, that's brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. Uh, well, uh, Cody, it's been great to connect with you. I'm excited about your story and, and hope you can convert your five to 10 year plan into a three to five year plan. I, I hope uh, people watching will give you millions and billions of dollars to help you accelerate the work you're doing. It's critically important for our future. Uh, and I commend you for doing it. Before you go, would you take a minute and tell everyone, including the investors with lots and lots of money to give you how they can follow your work, get in touch with you, uh, learn more about what you're doing, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks, Devin. Um, so the company is called Brimstone Energy, and you can find us at www.brimstone.energy. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. My name is Cody Finke, and you can see in the write-up and podcast how that's spelled. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then you can email us at the company at info at brimstone.energy. And you know, we're especially excited about, certainly always excited about investors who can help, help catalyze this, um, this process. We're also excited about folks who work at cement companies, concrete companies, architecture firms, project developers, you know, anyone in the built environment space reaching out to us and saying, hey, we're really interested and we're really sincere in CO2 emissions reductions. And we also, you know, recognize the, um, the challenges and we'd love to be supportive because there's a lot of ways that we can be supportive, that y'all can be supportive to us, whether that's, you know, specifying our material, being an early adopter of our material, um, working on trying to figure out how to work together to build a plant. There's lots and lots of ways. So, um, please, please, please reach out. And then the final thing I say, we're actually also hiring. So, um, if you're, you know, certainly come find us on uh, social media or email info at brimstone.energy. If you're a chemical engineer, process engineer, or have experience as a cement chemist or um, 
or con using con concrete mix designs. Fantastic. Well, I hope I hope this uh, helps, uh, Cody, because this is one of the most uh, critical problems we have in solving climate change. We can't get there without solving this problem. Uh, and like you say, uh, it, people have been coming at this late. Uh, you're an early entrant into uh, solving a big, big problem. So kudos to you. Uh, we wish you all the best. We're praying for your success. Uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. uh, we appreciate you. Thanks, Devin. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for the work you do getting the word out about, you know, problems like this. So, yeah, appreciate it. All righty. Cody, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.